The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail, every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. Summer's almost here. Yay, right? So, when's the last time you tried on your swimsuits and summer clothes? If you could get back into summer shape in one visit, would you do it? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonobella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. That's Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I'm back for another week with Lance Brozdowski, my co-pilot, my partner in crime yes. when it comes to this, this prospect game. It's been a lot of fun this season. We're winding down now in the minor league year. I don't think we're going to start doing positional ranks. And we maybe talked about that a little bit, but there's still a lot of juicy info, call-ups, Things going on in the minor leagues, a lot of stuff to dig in on. Our theme for the show is going to be sort of adjustments. We're going to fit in uh, a segment, I guess you could call it, uh, a little bit of a bit on players that made some adjustments coming into the season and sort of the, the, the results that they've gotten following good and some of them maybe even bad. So I think that will be interesting to dig in on, especially when we have the mechanics guru here. Lance Brozdowski, hey. yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to call you. <laughs> We're going to do some call-ups. We're going to go do our five by five at the end, but, uh, yeah, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Lance, what's going on, man? How's the last week been? Taking any games? Uh, yes, yeah. My 5x5 five five at the end of the show here is just going to be five guys that I actually saw. So I got to see Quad Cities, which is the Midwest League affiliate of the Houston Astros and also the Midwest League. First time I've seen Cedar Rapids, actually. I saw oh, cool. Kirloff and Lewis at the All-Star Game, Midwest League All-Star Game, but I get, did not get to see him at Cedar Rapids. So they, Cedar Rapids with Trevor Larnock, Akil Badu, and all these other guys came out 
two quad cities in Davenport, Iowa, and I got to take in that game. That'll be my five by five. But yeah, I, you mentioned that the season's winding down. I was looking at the last kind of month here. I think most of the Midwest League playoffs start on the 5th of, of September. So I was plotting out like what else I can get to this season. And it was dismal because I was like, wow, I have like two weekends left, you know, three weekends at max left before the playoffs hit. And then that's going to, that's going to, of course, limit up the amount of teams that are in the playoffs. I'm really hoping Fort Wayne yeah. has a push. They have a very small chance they get in because the Midwest League playoff structure is really weird in terms of like first half, second half stuff. So uh, I'm finally understanding that. And there's a chance that if the, the Fort Wayne team caps finish fourth in the Midwest League in this division, they're able to actually push their way into the playoffs. So very weird stuff, but I hope they get some extra games so I can see more Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino, who I still have not seen Patino, and I'm very mad about that. I'm hoping to kind of scoop that up. Um, potential he that made, I get that Oviedo made, kid along with pitch, Patino. And, uh, he made Pitching great. Ninja. He made Pitching Ninja Patino. I completely I that was kind oh, of funny. I, do, I do remember that now. Okay, okay. Yep, I saw that come through. Walden has been a big proponent of him too, Emily Walden on Twitter. So I'm, I... Uh, I've been beaten to the Patino hype. I guess I have the Gore hype. She has Patino hype, but uh, I respect her 100%. And I, I love what she's been doing with Patino. And she's gotten some good conversations with him. And I know she's conversed with him a couple times. So uh, um, props to her. But yeah, Patino's fun. I mean, just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, but this is, man, the season's going to wind down. I'm also really excited. You, you briefly mentioned that, that we're going to do positional ranks eventually. Really excited for those because I feel like this year going into them, Ralph, we have so much more of a base of guys we've seen than the past. Like, I feel like a lot of the other ones we did, we were like kind of piecing together some video and some other things. But I feel like for this, we're going to come up with such a good baseline of, of guys we've seen in the past year together or apart and stuff like that. Me out here in the Midwest League, me and you, you, you seeing a lot of the AAA guys. Um, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Yeah, man. I wish you could get, get to more games, too. And, and the worst part is we've had like really rainy weather over yeah, the last couple terrible weekends. weather in the Northeast. Yeah. yeah so I, I wasn't able to get any games in last weekend. And there were two doubleheaders in Connecticut gonna head to a lull game instead that got mm -hmm. postponed Tucker was out of town I think yeah it was like it was one of those times where it was like there was nothing I could do and the week before was obviously Fado who by the way has been completely awful in his two starts since yeah. I saw him a couple of weeks ago um he's continued to trend downward and maybe he's tired at this point or whatever and and I don't want to write the guy off and and I certainly am I don't feel like I'm one of these prospect writers or minor league writers it's that's over overtly negative or really wants to dog a guy when he's down. I hope that you know he does improve, but there's definitely some stuff. There's some red flags that I uh, I pumped the brakes a lot on mm. Fado in, in comparison to how I had him ranked. You know, a little bit over a month ago, around a month ago now, since my, my top 500 came out. So yeah, Lance. I don't know. I, no games for me, unfortunately. I wish it did because I'm always a little bit more enthusiastic and digging a little bit more. Yeah. I will say my Wareham Gateman won the Cape Cod League though. I saw that. I saw you tweeting yeah. that out. I know. I'm very happy about that. It's awesome. A first title yeah. in a while for them, right? I think I saw. Yeah, I think so. I'd have to look back and see where it is. Uh, at 2012, maybe something like that. 2013. Cool, cool. Oh, okay, that's not too far. I thought yeah, it was like it was the not. 90s, but yeah, that's all right. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, I'll have to go back <laughs> awesome. and look. I, I don't have uh, Gateman trivia completely memorized. I'll leave that to like Judy and Wareham. The, yeah, the only, the only baseball team that she probably follows. You know? <laughs> did you watch any? Actually, I meant to. I meant to ask you. I don't think we've conversed about it too much, but did you watch any of the Perfect Game? I actually am just kind of going through that on YouTube, and then we should yeah. make an episode of that. I think in the future. Uh, I have it DVR'd. I watched like bits and pieces of mm -hmm. it. Same I here. Saw, I saw a lot of. Um, oh crap! What's his first name? Um, what's What's Al Leiter's kid's first name? Jack Leiter. Jack Leiter. Yeah, so he I looks saw, solid. I, saw, I like him. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, he's small, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of dig the, uh, his stuff, man. He's mm -hmm. got, a, he was, I mean, he was pumping like 
low mid nineties yeah. in that game. I mean, it was, it was pretty impressive. It was like, all right, this guy's got serious, serious stuff. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's all these kids of, or children of former baseball players just taking over the minor leagues and major <laughs> leagues and our prospect conversations, but he's an interesting guy. And, and yeah, of course, you know, we got to see a look at, you know, all, all the other guys yeah. that, uh, that, you know, are in that class, you know, of course, Bobby Witt Jr.'s in that yes, game. Sir. Um, what was the, the name of the guy? I know, uh, Riley, Riley Green. Had really like his swing. Really, yeah, really, really like his Bobby swing. Green. And um, then who's, who's the batting practice hero from the, uh, the, the, uh, event What is the Under Armour? Is that the thing that they have at, uh, the all-star game? Before um, the all-star game? Is it yeah. Reese, Reese, uh, Reese Hines. Reese yep, Hines. Yeah, there okay. it is. He's a little more like a righty say, masher. I was trying not to say Reese Gaines, who I think was a point guard like in like the <laughs> early 2000s for like Louisville. <laughs> yeah, Reese Hines, Reese Hines. Yeah, I, I was watching. I got through, I think, three innings. I was actually taking some notes on it, too. It was really fun. I, I was worried that they weren't going to put it up on YouTube, but when they eventually did, and I got a message from one of my buddies that they did, I was very excited, and I immediately jumped in. But, yeah, there's some there's some really interesting talent. I don't know if the high school caliber of talent is as good as it was last year, I have to say, just off of what I was seeing in the first couple of innings, especially on some of the top-line starters and stuff. But, uh it seems like maybe this draft shaping up to be a little bit more college heavy. Obviously, some some uh, high school guys tossed in that I think will be valuable. Some that I, I really enjoyed. Bobby Witt, I know we like a lot. Um, real uh, Riley Green. I gotta make sure I get his name. But Riley Green. I really like his swing from the left side. He was super relaxed. He had a really really nice oppo double um, on a pitch low and away that I don't know how he barreled up and hit that far. And then there's a couple other guys that I really like too. I like this kid. Uh, I don't remember his first name, but something Travinsky. He's a first baseman. I don't know how much of a like a mobile guy Glovey is, but he's got a really interesting open swing, a little bit like Evan Longoria. I really liked his bat speed. Um, and then this kid Daniel Espino is just like a crazy athletic delivery. That's he was popping like yeah, that's 98. He up. was unbelievable. I know pitching into tossed him around on on Twitter and uh, but yeah, we should we should make a segment on I think in the next week once we both get through it and maybe talk 15 20 minutes about it. But uh, for now, Ralph, we got some call ups that we want to talk about. So the major league yeah. level four guys. Sean Reed Foley, who we've both seen, I believe, up in uh, New Hampshire. I've already almost forgotten. Yep. <laughs> no, ah. I've not forgotten. I swear. I still have the tape on it. But Sean Reed Foley, uh, five innings, six hits, three earned, three walks, three strikeouts. Not as good as Tuki Toussaint's debut. He got called up when they expanded the roster for a doubleheader on Monday. The Braves, he went six innings, two hits, one earned, two strikeouts. Or excuse me, two walks, four strikeouts. Looked really good. I watched some of that start. I was jiffing up some of it. He had a really interesting pitch mix that I don't think I realized the depth of. Nice splitter, splitter grip. I got a really cool jiff of that. I know Pitching Ninja did as well. And Danny Jansen is the third one here. Seven plate appearances. He has no walks or strikeouts, but he did hit a home run in Kansas City. And then Taylor Ward, who we're going to get into a little bit late, later as we toss in some of those adjustments Ralph was talking about. Eight plate appearances, a walk, a strikeout, and a double. Those are the four guys that have been called at the Major League level. I believe as of the last time we spoke, Ralph, which one of those stands out to you most? I think it's got to be Tukey. Um, he looked impressive, and I know that it was against, you know, the Marlins. So, what's, well, I guess, basically you know, let's, let's, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. That is legitimately like a triple A AAA team, more or less. Like somebody said that about the Orioles this week, and I was kind of like, eh. Their offense is not as bad as people realize. Yeah, I, think. I don't think it's as, as bad. It's like the Marlins. <laughs> it's it's so not, no. <laughs> he, he, he cruised a little bit. Like I said, I don't think he had his best command, but I don't think he necessarily needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he had a really impressive three pitch mix. And I think. You know, he was pretty evenly distributed off of that fastball. He didn't lean on it too much, used the curveball really effectively, and the, the, the split finger, like you mentioned as well. So I thought it was um, an impressive showing, and it, and it showed me that he 
body wise, everything, you know, you look at uh, his track record in terms of innings over the last few years, even when he was in the bullpen for a little bit, he's thrown like 130, 120 innings plus over the last two years, um, not combined, but each mm-hmm. season. And, you know, he seems like the kind of guy to me that, you know, maybe they could push him a little bit more. This guy should be in the rotation come next season with Soroka. I would take him over over Allard at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting conversation. It just came off of the, the Platinum Sombrero podcast, which is uh, a Braves uh, uh, podcast, Pacific podcast. So nice. I did nothing but talk about these guys. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm way into Tukey. I streamed him, like, everywhere, and I was very glad at the results that I got there. If mm-hmm. he's uh, kicking around in your, your keeper leagues and your team, it's out of contention and, and you're maybe questionable about, you know, a, a fringy, keeping a fringy major leaguer, maybe take a shot on Tuka Toussaint, especially if it's like a, a head to head points league or something that like really values pitching, you know, mm-hmm. um, Roto, you know, I'm sure there's probably some bats out there, but Tukey, man, he's going to get some opportunities next year. And it wouldn't surprise me if he gets quite a few starts down the stretch in September, especially if there's any uh, injuries in that starting rotation. Absolutely. I agree with you. I think that's the one that stands out for me as well. I, I wanted to dig into some of Reed Foley's advanced pitching metrics, and it doesn't look like his command was great. And I got a Blue Jays friend who I think you've met before, Rich Burfer, who uh, or we met on the draft kind of YouTube show we did. But uh, yeah. Um, he watched it and he said he, he understood the same thing we were talking about, I think, a while ago with the command issues, possibly in the stiffening of his front leg and stuff. So, But I want to see some of, the, uh, some of the pitch metric data on him, how his movement looked compared to others in major leagues and how his whiffs were. But I didn't get a chance to. But the line doesn't look great. So it, it might be kind of one of those situations where maybe he's overperforming a little bit in AAA, maybe more of like a three-year, nah, probably ceiling three, maybe more like a four-five starter for the Blue Jays. But, I mean – Pumping 97, I think he hit 97 on the gun, is probably nice for Blue Jays fans after seeing, you know, 89 to 91 from Marco Estrada and Jaime Garcia for the majority of the season. So <laughs> he's, I guess he's a breath of fresh air in that respect. And then Danny Jensen, a really nice swing on a home run. Taylor Ward we'll get into later. Um, two guys we wanted to bring up a little news. We forgot to mention last week, I think we were going through some, we went through a nice batch of calls because there were a lot of calls, but we forgot to mention Jesus Lazardo, who Ralph has always been very high on and has convinced me to love, and I, I now love, but um, two starts in AAA. We forgot to mention he got promoted to AAA. His first start, he pitched really well, I believe. Five innings, eight hits, six strikeouts, looked really good, and then his second AAA start, three and a third, six hits, four and two walks, five strikeouts. So not as great. I didn't know, I didn't dig into actually how those runs occurred, how bad he looked in that start. Three and a third isn't terrible, but at the same time, he probably wasn't 100% clicking. So um, maybe some more context on that would be valuable as opposed to just saying he stunk. But it looks like he might line up to pitch on Friday. Um, And Bryce Wilson, eight innings, one hit, 13 strikeouts, Ralph. I want to talk about these two guys pretty quickly with you. The first on Lazardo, I assume you're not worried. I'm probably not worried. Do you think he'll be up? sometime let's say mid to late September to help out the A's in the stretch run. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. This came up today. I was listening. I listened to a ton of podcasts because now I have like an hour plus commute drive from Burlington all the way back to my house in uh-huh. Northborough. So, you know, the trip of traffic that's in and around yep, Burlington, yep. Massachusetts. So, <laughs> um, I, I listen to a ton of podcasts now. I check out everybody, I guess our competition, but not really. I don't look at it that way. <laughs> I'm into a, a collaborative prospect community. There we go. I like so, it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, very, I knew, I'm very against confrontation, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I'm, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just, <laughs> I'm mad living now. So anyway, um, and it come up on the MLB pipeline podcast. And I think Jim Callis was saying that like, he thinks that, they'll they'll call up Lizardo um, in some capacity in September, um, you know, whether it okay, be as a cool. starter 
or uh, you know if they wanted to really just let it fly in terms of the innings he's at a, about 100 and, he's at 101 two thirds now so let's say 102 innings now mm-hmm. you know this guy coming off an arm injury but at the same time like I really wonder how much like limiting his innings to 30 like is that really going to be like a, yeah. a, a breaking point like you know and and he can get 30 innings the rest of the rest of the year <laughs> and he'd have to pitch a lot. Like he'd probably have to pitch like four or five times and like full starts, you know, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily see that, that being in the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, they could use him in the, uh, uh, they have such a good bullpen though. It's like, where does he fit in? I mean, he really needs to fit into that team in my opinion, as a starting pitcher, that's, that's, you know, where that's they could add another guy. Yeah. yeah. They got Brett Anderson in the back end uh, of their rotation and some other guys floating around that I'm sure they'd be glad to get, yep. you know, some like starts. Fires, yep. Zardo, yeah. Just to get him into the playoffs, get into that play in game at worst, you know, I guess they have a shot at winning the division, of course, but um, if they don't win the division and they get into that play in game, like you win, then maybe he makes one more start after that too. Like, I don't, I don't see him going on this long playoff run. I think he'd just deal with it at that point. But, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting conversation because I can see it from both sides. There's a mm-hmm. good reason to shut him down. He's had a good season. There's no reason to push him. Next year, we're going to have this guy from, from you know, let's say April 25th on or whatever the date is that they're going to wait to call this guy up, of course, like everybody's going to do. But, um, yeah, I, I think he's ready for the majors, <laughs> even if he had a bad start his last time out. The first go around was was pretty good. I mean, he had eight hits, but he didn't walk anybody. Six strikeouts. Yeah, well, that's a good outing. I think so too. And then Bryce Wilson, Ralph. Oh, this is and it was also is, oh. his second start. By the way, was also in Colorado Springs. We should mention. Okay, that. that good context. Yeah, I didn't know too much on the context side there as to why he might have struggled. But yeah, Colorado Springs is definitely a, a bit inflammatory to most outings. Bryce Wilson, Ralph, eight innings, thirteen strikeouts, one hit, no walks. This was a name I remember a while ago when we were going through the Braves pitchers that I wasn't necessarily super high on i don't think i loved his arm slide i didn't think i love the body i didn't think i love the pitches yet now he seems like the guy who's who's pushing aside kyle Wright. he's pushing aside a lard and some of these other arms in the system i i'm continually baffled by this guy he just keeps producing and proving me wrong because i don't think i was ever too high on him um do you think he's going to be more of an impact arm than guys like Allard and and some of these others i think i'm still a little torn on it just because i haven't seen him much but no. that seems to be where the consensus is right now correct me if i'm wrong yeah i think that's the consensus would definitely fall onto that side of the argument. Um, I think there's a case that can be made in terms of ceiling that maybe Tukey has a higher ceiling. Maybe Kyle Wright has a higher ceiling. I don't know if Soroka has a higher ceiling just because of the swing and miss stuff that Bryce mm-hmm. Wilson has already you know possessed and shown at a really high level. Um, you know, at both high levels. I mean, he pitched a good a good chunk of the season, obviously in Double A, which is where he made his adjustments that I think we talked about in a prior podcast, mm-hmm. where he switched from that two seam fastball, which he had been really relying on going back to you know his amateur days. Um, I think his Orange High School in North Carolina just it sticks in my head, and you know he made an adjustment a little bit over a month and a half ago now. I'm sure he was tinkering with it for like the first few starts or whatever. They said, we want you to go to a four-seamer. He's done that, and the results have been spectacular. The first time out, I think a triple-A was a little rough. But second start, he goes out there and has one of the best starts of the season at any level of professional baseball. I mean, it was that mm-hmm. good of a start. You know, I mean, it was that the, – the numbers were that good. Like, I think it was like a, a 99-game score or some ridiculous – yeah, some ridiculous number. And so I think when you factor in 
his ability to make an adjustment like that and then push forward, you know, like, and and I'm not going to say that he probably never threw a a four seamer in his life or whatever, but that's a big deal to me. The fact that he can make adjustments like that and sort of seamlessly um, um, apply that, you know, to his repertoire and make an impact with it. That says a lot about a player and his ability to take coaching. And that's a big part of taking those resources in the major leagues and becoming a great player. And I think that's something that, you know, we don't talk about enough or maybe we do. I I can't remember. I don't listen to our shows enough, I guess, but um, (laughs) I, I, I think that that ability, like that innate ability to just be able to learn, you know, on the fly and have enough athleticism to sort of apply it and, 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 and have it work quickly like that's the sign of greatness in my opinion. And I don't know sure. if Bryce Wilson's going to be great or not, but I'm damn sure he's going to be an everyday starter. Like this mm-hmm. is this is a legit rotation arm, mid-rotation arm probably now. I mean, he's, their AAA rotation's probably better, especially if Freed's down there, you know, Tukey goes down. It's better than most than a lot of major league rotations. I take it over the Reds. Right? Sure, I agree with that for sure. I might yeah. take it over the Brewers. That's probably awful to say, but I might. I mean, it's they're all young, of course, and, and sure. we have this expectation. It's going to take a while. There might be some bumps in the road, especially the first year. And that might be the Braves' reluctance to bring him up and why they got a guy like Gaussman, and they sort of have that 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 buffer, you know, that bridge. But they're going to have to start bringing these guys in and working them into the rotation. I know it's really, really long-winded, but the fact that Wilson was able to make that adjustment – I'm just so impressed with him and he's right now. He's my number one Braves arm, Like that's, mm-hmm. this is the guy that I'm putting stock in. And you know, he, he is, you know, six, one, but he is, he's strong, stout and he is really athletic. I mean, he was, he is, uh, yeah. he was like a legitimate, like, I guess in, in high school, he was at times a quarterback running back receiver. I think he was actually like a, a, a legit, like mid tier, like D one recruit as like a, a running back receiver. Um, linebacker played like defensive back was a punter at one point and might've been the kicker, Like guys got injured and they just moved Bryce Wilson in there. Cause they knew he could handle it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. You know, like, <laughs> For sure, like yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, he's like a chameleon, like, it, it, you know, <laughs> like and, I, and I feel like there's a makeup element with Bryce Wilson that, you know, this guy was a fourth round pick in, and, you know, two drafts ago, um, and a prep guy and look how far he's come. I mean, his his rise has been as meteoric as as Ronald Acuna's in, in in some regards when you consider the fact that he's not just all this raw ability he's a pitcher like there's there's so much more that has to go into it to be able to and they do promote aggressively but to be able to get to the point where like you have a start like that in AAA like you have a start like that yeah you know it's big that is huge that, yeah that tells rarely me rarely does that happen you should you can make starts in the major leagues right now. And he's 20 years old. I mean, and he's 20 years old until December, you know? So yeah. he's a legit 21-year-old that could be in, you know, making 25-plus starts next year in the big league with a big league club. And they have a few of those guys. Tukey's the same way. So it's like, wow, wow, the Braves have built something, man. I've been talking about the Braves for four hours today. <laughs> Just keep it, keep it flowing. A fun team to talk about. I want to kick it back to you, Rob, for the, the uh, weekly Brendan McKay update. Give it to us. All right. So Brendan McKay, we obviously are going to – say this every single week, but we are, we are fascinated with his journey throughout the, the minor leagues and you know, what ultimately ends up happening him with him and the Rays, And, and, and does he continue to pursue this, this dream of a two way star, uh, in the major leagues that, you know, I guess was American born and not just, 
Shohei Otani and his miraculous abilities. But uh, so we're going to go through every single week and we're going to give you the line and what he did uh, on the mound. He made one start, which typically does a week. I feel like now um, went five innings so went a little bit longer uh, Four strikeouts. He walked two batters. I know pretty bad. Two <laughs> runs actually gave up six hits. So I think this was actually one of the worst starts he's had um, since we've been doing this. He's been on a pretty good run of late and uh, at the plate, he had a homer and he struck out six times um, to only two walks, had three hits. One of them, like I said, was a homer. He had a double, he had a single. It's a 176 batting average in uh, 20 plate appearances. So that's the weekly Brandon McKay. I, like update. It. I don't know. Like, not terribly, not terribly exciting. I feel like in, in weeks past, we've yep. had much, much better performances uh, from Brennan McKay, particularly on the mounds, right? I mean, we've been doing this. Very true. For, He's been going like five-ish or something and can everybody. He's going longer, though. Like, I like the fact that he's going five innings now. It was. It seemed like it was that three-four thing, but he's now gone five innings and in back-to-back starts. So maybe they take him up to six by the end of the, the end of the year, or maybe they're going to cap him at five throughout his minor league career. Keep him as the five-inning guy. Mm-hmm. Package him with an opener. Yep. And then have him have him give you some at bats when they need it. Right. I like it. I like you know? it. I see no problem. I see no problem with him. Okay. You know, I want to see it as a two way guy at the major league level. So let's get him. Let's well, get him playing some first base. I'm possible. interested. I'm interested to see a guy that's more of a hit first two way guy with a <laughs> with a decent like arm like in relief. Like I know we like kind of have those guys. Style? Michael Lorenzen style. Yeah, like like somebody better hitter than him maybe. Yeah, like somebody that like you know legitimately like could hit every day in the major leagues. Good hitter, like you know a valuable hitter, a guy that could start. That when you need him, he could throw ninety five and like has a, a decent off speed pitch. But so like, you're saying but, not but like Scott Kingery Ray today in the doubleheader. Did no, you see that? Not like <laughs> yeah. A lot of these guys have been doing it, but I mean somebody that's like done it for three years throughout the minor leagues, like a guy that was a two or even a two way guy in college. He did it for a couple of years in the minors and then like does it in the majors. Like, like Bobby Dahlbeck. Yeah. We can have Bobby Dahlbeck <laughs> go in and throw an inning. Gotcha, relief. Yeah. They need it. And it's legitimate relief. Like this is a guy that's throwing the relief in the minor leagues. Dahlbeck hasn't, they mm-hmm. don't do that with those guys. But I think it would be interesting if, if teams start to sort of do this, especially these small market clubs, because it's a way for them to, to sort of get around ro- r- r- roster, restrictions, 40 man restrictions, yep. all that sort of stuff. And eating those small dollars that they really don't want to eat. They can get the most out of some of these guys by, uh, by having them perform on both sides of the ball. But for, for the most part, we've seen guys that I think are pitching heavy, like Otani and McKay are really relying. No, Otani is an awesome hitter. Otani really is, but amazing. Yeah. We'll take the pitcher though, right? The upside of the pitcher is higher for both of these guys than it is for mm-hmm. the I think so too, which is funny because like I feel like we almost always look at those guys and say, or when we're comparing to like players in terms of caliber, we always tend to lean towards the hitter, right? Yet when we're developing yeah. the two-way guys, we always think the pitcher's eyes a little bit more valuable just because if you could get a guy who could go who could be a league average pitcher, that's almost more valuable than a guy who can be a league average hitter. And, and, you know, it's it's one of those weird things because of the injury risk, I think. And, and Otani, Otani has hit so well and he stole some bases and hit for power. That like I'm really apprehensive to say that he isn't more valuable as like a as a yeah. he, you know as a hitter. <laughs> I said it and I'm, it's coming it's out of my mouth. Yeah, you hear the trepidation in my voice as <laughs> the words come out. But I, I I think for the the majority of us, we're still going to say it's the it's it's the the pitcher that we're going after with Otani. Yep. But the hitter has been tremendous. It's been amazing that he just like it's like all right, yeah, I'm hurt, so I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna slug <laughs> slug homers and and be a be an awesome above average DH, you know. 
five times a week or whatever. The soul of summer in Columbus. The long weekends, the return of festivals, the connection with friends on a rooftop under the stars. The just five more minutes while on an adventure with your tiny travelers. Long live summer and the exploration of Columbus's neighborhoods. Discover itineraries from your favorite Columbus residents like Jenny Britton and Coyote Peterson and learn how to make this summer one to remember. Plan every detail every minute of summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash liveforward. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. It is amazing. But what's next? What's next, Lance? What are we going to talk about next? We're going to talk about a column from Fangraphs from Nate Fryman, who is a former Major League player. He's doing a bit of a – I listened to a really good podcast with him where he's kind of dug into statistics after his retirement. Um, he played for Team Israel, I, I believe he played. He was a big, I want to say, lefty masher for the A's. I want to confirm that to make sure I have his handedness right. But um, he's now writing, and he's doing some really awesome advanced statistical work. And a lot of his questions are really cool because they're very simple, and they're simple-minded questions that he then takes an analytical slant to and is able to explain it really, really well, especially with his playing career. And he takes some of the things that he thought, and he's trying to confirm them. And one of the things that he thought – um, and this came out, I believe, Monday. I have it on my Twitter feed. If you go back to Monday or Tuesday, my Twitter, at Lance Brozdo, B-R-O-Z-D-O-W, you can see this column. I posted it up. I thought I, I think I added him, and I said I, I loved it. And what it's very simply, and it applies very well to the minor leagues, was just he wanted to look at if the strike zone changes as you go up levels. So he looks at low A, high A, double A, triple A, kind of baselines a bunch of things. He, he kind of quotes this thing called a better zone. And he was talking, I think he said he had one interaction with the O-Dog, Orlando Hudson, when he was younger, and Hudson came down on a rehab stint and Fryman said uh or like what is it like up there and O-Dog was like it's a better zone and he said all this other stuff so he classifies better zone as as having both better size more appropriate size and also consistency of where those strikes are called so it's kind of two separate factors he goes into and he actually got 20,000 pitches from an anonymous organization um across levels so it doesn't really say it looks like he got that based on he got that because he he's holding them anonymous so don't exactly know what organization it is i really have no idea which one it could be i'm sure he has some connections still in baseball that were able to get him this on the condition of anonymity and he pulled this together and and did some really cool analytical research basically on how the zone changes he looked at all this data and one of the interesting things a couple things i'll go through here but one of the most interesting things i think is is basically he looks at this thing called borderline strike call percentage where the higher the percentage um, this is kind of like a small, small, like in couple inches, I think right around the plate in all directions. I think he was mainly looking at inside outside as opposed to up down, because I, I believe that I don't think there was strike. There was strike zone height adjustments for up down. So it was harder for him to baseline that. So basically he looks at inside outside from low, a high double, a triple, a borderline strike call percentage, a higher percentage means these borderline strikes are called more often. And what he kind of breaks down is that in low a, you have about a 45% chance that these, these are called strikes. Then you go all the way up to triple a, it's only 35%. So what's that saying is that as you increase through levels, and this is progressive, so it goes from 45% down to 42 when you hit high A, down to 37 when you hit double A, down to 35 when you hit triple A. And this is saying the lower percentage is the tighter zone. It's saying that these borderline pitches are 35% chance to be called a strike versus 45% chance to be called a strike at low A. So basically low A, you have a much bigger zone on the, on the corners, and at triple A, you have a much tighter zone. 
And it, it's it's interesting because we often kind of try to gauge the guy's skill level among a lot of other factors at various levels, Raph. And I know we lose a ton with guys in high A. We're kind of like, oh, well, do we think double A to high or high A to double A is the biggest, the hardest jump, which is honestly something Freeman looks at here. There's a 5% jump there, whereas there's only a 2% jump between double A and triple A and low A and high A, which kind of, again, it goes back to the idea that double A to high A and that difference is a pretty big difference in terms of how tightened up the zone gets, how much better the players get, how much better everything gets. But um, this is just something I just think it's fun to consider. It's fun to think about to think about maybe guys who have inflated strikeout rates in lower levels that we, we weren't expecting to see. And I know that actually when I talked to Nick Prado a while ago about this Kansas City first baseman, he said the same thing. That was one of the first things he brought up was just he said that it was really hard for him to gauge the strike zone. He was down in Lexington, A-ball. It was one of those things where it was just tough for him to figure out. And, you know, it's just yep. fun to see a quantification of this from Fryman on it. Um, and I think specifically, too, one of the things that he kind of narrowed into a little bit more that I, again, can't understand 100% of the statistical side of it, not a statistician, but he kind of broke it down. And one of the things he actually said was the majority of these borderline strikes, the differentials in, in the levels actually has to do more so with the, the inside corner to right-handed hitters. He said yeah. that outside corners from actually both handedness of hitters, I believe, is, is relatively consistent, which I found interesting. My theory on that was that it has to do with umpire setup. Maybe they could see the inside corner better, whereas the outside corner, they have more of a, a visual just kind of they, or actually, now that would be the inverse of that. Maybe they set up on the outside more than the inside, and they're looking at they, the right hand. They typically hitter. do. Yeah, I so typically that see makes them sense. Over like the, the, the right shoulder or the catcher. Mm-hmm. So that would make sense then, because they have a really, really good look at the outside corner, but the inside corner to righties is more of a guessing game. So, yeah, that was the biggest difference he saw between low A and AAA, was that, again, the borderline strikes are being called less at higher levels, but also that the inside corners are where most of that is happening. And then the obvious thing, too, mentions the better zone is consistency and size of the zone. The consistency of the zones increases as the levels increase as well. So that's that's more just like if it pitches a ball and it's off the plate, is that being consistently called through the game, through a random sample, or is it something that's floating up and down? And that's obviously something you looked at. Again, that increases from level to level. And I'll finish it off here, Ralph, before I want, kind of want to get your thoughts on it. A quote from Freeman, he finishes out the article, goes through some takeaways. He's quoted as saying, We've seen here that zones seem bigger in A-ball, specifically on the inside corner to a righty. If I were a minor league hitting coach, I'd want to communicate this to my players, but not so they know not so they know to swing. The minor leagues exist for the purpose of developing players. The habits developed by young hitters at lower levels tend to follow them up the ladder. I'd want them to know that the big inside corner is a feature of the level rather than a reality of pro ball. Instead, I'd communicate that swinging in off the plate before two strikes, even if it, even if it is a strike, isn't um, conducive to development. I'd say this. I'd say that it will do more good learning to take a pitch than learning to hit it. That's a ball in Double A AA or Triple A, let alone big league. So basically, what he's saying there is that I, I like just kind of his his getting in the head of a hitting coach around this. So if you if you're a, a minor league and you read this column and you go, oh, you know, uh, I I understand that now that I'm in Low A, maybe the inside corner is being called a little bit wider than it should be, you know. And I just like his idea of getting in the in the head of the minor league coach and. and not so they are swinging a ton more, but just that if they're failing on pitches on the inside corner, maybe it's not 100% the product of their actual swing. So um, yeah. I know there's a lot to digest here, Ralph. What kind of stands out to you? I don't know if you had a chance to read through it, but I feel like I tried to break it down as well as I could. Uh, um, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's pretty consistent, too. And I think it's funny, though, that you still see guys um, have, you know, walk rates, I guess, just because the pitchers are better. But you would think that there were like some of the elite players that like their walk rates would actually get better but maybe they're getting better calls than other guys like the vlads and mm-hmm. some of those Good guys point. so i think it's, it's it's tough to quantify in that sense but i like the point that he makes about hitters and development and and you know making sure that like hey just under understand like 
I know it's it's a tough call sometimes to see some that are like that stuff. It gets called at this level. It's not really getting called at other levels. Just be cognizant of it. Yep. Don't break away from your approach. Don't break away from your plan. In the same regard, I think with pitchers, it's it's kind of like you got to tighten that up a little bit. You're going to get that call here. You're not going to get that call on the other levels. And I actually think that it may manifest itself more in the adjustments that we see from starters as they go from the lower levels of the minor leagues up to the higher levels. And as we see oftentimes, especially initially over the first five to six starts before there's any sort of adjustment period with the good ones, but you know, with all of them, you typically don't see the walk rate go down when they, when they make the jump from a yep. ball to double a triple a, um, you know, double a triple a might be a smaller adjustment, but I really do think that from high A to double A, when you see this 5%, you know, increase uh, or, or decrease, excuse me, in, in you know, uh, strikes that are, are called, uh, uh, you know, on the, I guess, you know, fringe strikes or borderline mm-hmm. strikes, when you're losing that 5% of borderline strikes, that's impactful to a, a young pitcher. Sure. And particularly if they're getting called for balls and it goes in the inverse, you know, that's kind of a big deal. You know, those five you're throwing a hundred pitches, those five, those five balls may turn a lot of at bats one mm-hmm. way or the other, you know, that could potentially be three different at bats where guys walk instead of strike out. So, um, it's, it's an interesting study. I mean, I read a little bit of it. You have some great quotes here to sort of break it down. Obviously you had more time to digest mm-hmm. it than I did. I just read it <laughs> before the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tremendous coverage uh, from Freeman and um, really like Bravo. Like uh, this is a guy that knows his stuff and um, you know, he's really, really articulate and he was able to uh, put it out there in a way that I think is like, you know, intelligent, but, but really easily digestible for um, you know, cavemen, even like my, even like myself. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting study. And I think it's cool that he was able to get all this data from an organization. It was such a large sample size of, 20,000 pitches or whatever it was um, that you really were able to spot trends and some inconsistencies or consistencies in strike zones from level to level. So I think that just on a, on a a surface level is really interesting, but some of the other stuff that he's able to sort of uh, pull from that, I think only adds to the conversation and gives us all because he's done this work for us. We all kind of have a little bit after reading this and hearing this, we all have a little bit better understanding of level to level because I don't think the naked eye could pick this up, particularly me it's watching yeah, games really you know, at a certain level. Um, and guys don't have as much control, especially in the lower levels. Yeah. I mean, well, always a full season level, but like I noticed the, the jump watching a double a game and then a day later going to a short season game, there's a tremendous step down in terms of the control of pitchers and every, just everything around the baseball element of it, you know, like not even just this guy can mash and the talent of the guy. Oh, like, it's just like, everything is so much more polished. It's just such a huge, huge difference that, um, <laughs> this just only adds to that. So I, I wonder even what the lower levels, rookie levels, if they're pretty consistent with what we see from low a here on that 45% uh, percent, mm-hmm. um, borderline strike, or if uh, it's even higher. I wonder if it's closer to 50%, right? I wouldn't be stunned. Yeah, it's, GCL, it's one of those you things know, that adds up. And, and, and I would imagine that part of it is is the limitation of the command and control of the pitchers at that level and how frequently you see good quality strikes on the edges, right? 
um, you probably just don't see a whole lot of them, you know? So some of those borderlines calls you may get more frequently because you don't see, you don't have to make as many borderline calls. Mm-hmm. I, I think the right. general idea is like at the major league level, if you're, if you don't have command, you're not going to get pitches out the corners. But I think that almost might be the inverse at really low levels. Like if you yeah. don't have command and everyone in your rotation doesn't have command at some point, the umpire just has to start calling strikes, right? Like he's <laughs> going to move the game along. I don't know if that's just a crude way to look at it, but I'd imagine that in some short season games and some rookie ball games that happens where no one on the team has control in a three game series, a really good command in a three game series. Everyone has a walk per nines above, or excuse me. Yeah. Walk per nines above like four sitting in that right three to five range no one really has command they're throwing it and they're getting it to the plate but the ump's just calling whatever because it's so hard to get a consistent read on guys so um i don't know it might just again be a testament to how good major league umpires are which i know is a is a probably not the is a kind of a hot take for how much heat they get but in general major league umpires are, are relatively accurate for what they do and it's it's continually impressive to me but um again I, i'm not gonna I'm not going to butter up the umpires here, Ralph. We got more huh? stuff to do. We got other things to do here. Adjustments. We wanted to go through some adjustments. Ralph shot this idea over to me. I thought it was a pretty cool idea going through. Kind of some guys. Um, we have two from Long and Hagen. I know we're doing a lot of fan graph stuff here today, but um, they had some good content, and I, I like their content. I like kind of adding to it and giving me and Ralph's thoughts on it. But two guys from fan graphs we're going to go over very briefly. But four guys to start here. We want to talk about some general adjustments on. I guess we're going to go through maybe quickly one by one, Ralph. I'll kind of give my thoughts and then your thoughts, or we can kind of go back and forth here. But we'll start with with Adam Hingsley of the Phillies promoted to Double A. Um, his Ks are down and his walks are up after this promotion. I think he played. I could kind of get the exact amount of games up here in a second. But um, this was a, was a relatively aggressive promotion. And going back to kind of that high to double A jump, it's impressive again to see this, to see his Ks going down, his walks going up. Um, 306, 389, 423 in his sample of double A games. And the path of his leg kick is what I believe he modified, especially if you go back and look at his his former days uh, back in college. Um, it, it's kind of a little bit different. It, it, he had this r- insanely odd way of bringing his leg straight up and down from the left side of the plate so you bring it straight up and it almost looked like he's he's squatting like doing it doing a squat and then you kind of invert and tilt it a little bit if he froze him at the top of his leg kick what it seems like now is that he's actually taking that leg kick and bringing it more laterally back so imagine instead of going vertically up down with the leg he's now going at almost like a 45 degree angle into his back hip and it's going to allow for a ton more to happen in his lower half, ton more engagement in his lower half. Even though he already had a pretty good amount of engagement in his lower half, um, it's going to allow him to stay back more. I, I I think the adjustment's great. It's made his swing look a little more natural, too. I don't know if he's just quieted up some of the mannerisms. Maybe he's standing up a little bit straighter, too. I thought I noticed that a little bit. Can't say 100% certainty. But he goes from a guy that I always think – I always laughed at because it, it just felt like he should be playing in like the, ni- like the 1920s. You know, uh-huh. just had kind of like a cavemanish style swing to now where it looks a little bit more fluid. And he's his strikeouts are, are really good. I think he's right around 12%. His walk rates, I think, right around 8%. He's he looks like a guy who I think maybe Ralph is up next year and is, is impacting leagues, maybe in points leagues more so than anything. But I, yeah. the discipline is here, right? Like it's going to be really hard to overlook Hazley in another year. Yeah, and he's good on both sides of the ball, too. He's a very, a very solid outfielder. Um, and I think he's a guy that can push for playing time there, um, and, and get into the mix. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting because I think some people kind of dog the pick and, and I don't think people loved it, but at this point, um, but you'd like to see a little bit more power at Reading. Um, mm-hmm. but, at, but at this point, I think just because of the kind of player he is and the consistency in terms of just contact with this guy and being able to just put the ball in play that works, especially works in the national league. You know, they don't necessarily need him to be a 40 home run hitter. He could be a 15 home run hitter and a 300 average with some, you know, a few stolen bases when he picks his spots, play really good defense. 
and get on base and, and, and hit at the top of the lineup. I think, you know, he has an ability to potentially do that and be sort of what we sort of hoped Scott Kingery would be this year. Maybe he still has a chance mm-hmm. to be <laughs> next year, but you know, sort of a table setter for this offense. Uh, another really athletic guy up there that can, you know, maybe pair with like uh, Cesar Hernandez. I, I, I think Hazley's up next year. I don't know how quickly, mm-hmm. I but agree. I do. I, I do think we see him by July. I, I think it could be, it could be as early as like he breaks camp. I mean, the way the Phillies are, and he's not that far off from being ready. Um, just because he does all the little things well, and I think his hitting will improve over the next two to three years uh, as he starts to grow and 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 potentially adds a little bit more power. I never want to cap somebody's power. What I see from them a year into professional baseball, you know, I, I I don't care who it is, right? <laughs> I mean, we were all all ready to 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 cap Christian Pache's uh, uh, power at like two, right? And he's at three <coughs> home. So mm-hmm. I, I think. You know, we, we have to let that settle. We also know about these guys with quality of contact in the major leagues with a major league ball in a great home run ballpark uh, that he gets to play all of his home games in in Philadelphia. So, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to cap this guy, uh, though. I think the biggest knock would probably be the power because I think the hit tool is good yep. and uh, all the other stuff that he does well. So he's a really interesting player, good athlete. He's another guy that was a two way guy. He pitched at Virginia. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, a ton of two-way yeah. guys. Should have stayed two-way. Could have had an Adam Hazley update on top of the Brendan McKay update. Taylor Ward is going to be our second adjustment guy here. We alluded to him briefly at the beginning of the show. Um, I have to admit, I, I didn't know too much about Taylor Ward going into this promotion and going into some of the looks that I got at him simply just today and kind of breaking him down a little bit. I really like his swing a lot, and I think we were talking about this a little bit pre-show here. And Ralph agreed. Ralph said he's always been high on him, and I just kind of overlooked him. I don't know why. I just always thought that the Angel system was rel- relatively depleted in some of the assets they had. And Taylor Ward is kind of a guy that stuck through the cracks. cracks. Now they're now they're not depleted at all with guys yeah. from Jordan Adams to Jemai Jones. They have a lot, a lot well, of depth now. We'll in talk terms about of, Jordan Adams later. I got yes. to watch Jordan Adams. Oh, I love it, love it. But Taylor Ward is interesting, really. Really, really explosive swing in the minor leagues. He had a really quiet, like hand waggle that actually. And I'm going to go a weirder comp here. Just it's not really the best, but aesthetically, it reminded me a little bit of Edwin Encarnacion E5 here in terms of how he was setting up with his hands and how he drifts back with his hands into his load. It is a really explosive swing in terms of how much just power he's able to generate in a very short, short burst of movement. But the adjustments he made, if you look back to a little bit earlier this year to his swing in the current major league level, is that he's actually, instead of having those hands drift back, he's kind of starting them back from the right side now, which is, again, probably just a little bit more natural of a way to kind of get into his load, which I like a lot. And he also added a light kick, which I found interesting, because usually when you see guys shorten up with their upper body, I feel like they almost end up shortening up with their lower half as well. But I wonder if what Ward is trying to do is is his initial idea was to kind of keep his leg down, keep his leg flat and bring his hands really forward and have basically some momentum going back with his hands and have a lot of the power generated from that momentum from his hands going back. So if he's starting his hands back, why not lift his leg up and try to get some momentum from his lower body going into a swing and generate more power that way? So it almost seems like he's flipped where he wants to generate the majority of his power from. This, again, is just a pure theory by me, but it's something that I was looking at and I was interested in and whether maybe that's some of his thinking. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's what came to my mind in terms of why he might flip kind of where his momentum is going from having it in his hands prior and earlier in the year to now having it in a little bit of more of his lower body with that leg kick. But I like the swing a lot. Again, he doesn't really have too much of a sample for us to tell much, but there's a reason they called him up. They think he's ready. I'd like to see him at the major level a little bit more. Um, Ralph, you've always liked Ward. Uh, do you like his adjustment? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I've when he was a catcher in the system, I was a little lukewarm on him. But, 
you know, he was great coming out of the draft initially. He had a really, really good uh, start to his professional career. And, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't terrible in 2016. He was kind of iffy. And then 2017 was sort of more of the same. But what this guy's always had is elite walk rates. I mean, you know, t- throughout 2017, we're talking, you know, a guy in the mid-teens, like 14, 15, 16% walk rate. Uh, that carried through 16% walk rate this year at double a, uh, 42 games, the next 60 games he spent in the triple at in triple at triple a in the PCL, uh, 13.5% walk rate there. And that's really what's always been the underlying thing with ward. Cause there's been rumors for about a year plus they're going to move him off the catching position. They finally did it this year. They made him a full-time third baseman. And I, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it a lot, his hands aren't getting his beat up. He's able to focus more on developing uh, as a hitter and the defensive side of things. You know, maybe it just came pretty naturally to him. He's got a good arm, all that sort of stuff. Um, I can't speak a ton on his fielding. I've watched some some uh, some Salt Lake games. It's never stuck out to me as as anything that's a, a a massive issue. But the hitting has always been there. He's a good contact guy. You know, puts the bat in the ball. Um, he'll strike out a little bit. I mean, he's striking out about 20, 22%, but it's not out of control. And um, he was able to add some power that in a lot of ways, he seems almost like a Dodgers guy to me. This is somebody that um, made you know some sort of a, a, a change, whether it was position wise and then did some stuff in terms of the swing change. And, and now he's just taken off. He's unlocked like another level. And if you look mm. at the numbers, he's not hitting more fly balls. His distribution in terms of his uh, batted ball profile was always pretty even. You know, it was around 38, 40% in terms of ground balls, which isn't awful, by the way. Ground balls have a higher batting average on balls in play, so it's not necessarily a bad thing to be around 40. You don't want to be too much higher than that, though. Mm-hmm. Um, always a 30-plus percent, 33, 34, 35. His fly ball rate went down. His line drive rate is up tremendously. It's like 24, 25% in the minors across a couple of stops. And he's tapping into a little bit more of his pull side power that it's almost like a Daniel Murphy kind of thing that I wonder if he just has such good feel for the strike zone. Um, and, and has always had that contact ability that he's been able to make a few different tweaks as he's been able to spend more time focusing on hitting. And it's allowed him to unlock another level because he's had it all going. I mean, really across a couple of levels in, and I know it was the PCL for those last 60 games, but he was able to unlock power and uh, in, in on base ability and just really be an OPS sort of monster. Um, and sometimes those guys go underneath the radar just because the power maybe is the last thing to develop. And they always had this on base ability. And that's nice. But if there's no sizzle, then there's really nothing there for us as guys that prospect for fantasy. And that's a majority. We're just, you know, in general. Right. Um, but now he's got a clear path. There's a place for him to play at third base. He's not going to have the rigors of catching. I think there's an opportunity this guy could be a legitimate offensive everyday third baseman with a good bat that has, you know, an 800 plus, you know, 830 plus OPS every single season. Um, I think they might have they might have found a piece here. He's only 24. So this isn't that late of a of a of an adjustment. This is right around the right time that you want to see. And especially for a guy that spent some time uh, in the minor leagues focusing on the catching side of things. We know how difficult it is to develop as a catcher and all the extra work those guys have to put in 
um, just you know, learning how to frame and 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 call a game and the books and and the study and just all the stuff that goes into that position. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's far more demanding, I think, than just being a third baseman. But mm-hmm. I'm sure maybe there's some third baseman out there that would get angry at me for saying that. <laughs> you never know. But another guy with power here that made an adjustment that I was actually just looking at. I think for the first time, but it makes a lot of sense because we saw him a bit as Kevin Biggio here, Notre Dame bat. Had his hands really, really high, which I didn't realize when he was back in college. And uh, even a little bit, I believe, in his first looks at Dunedin, I want to say his hands were still pretty high up there, right on his head level almost. And he had he has this really odd thing where he kind of very, very early pre-pitch. I mean, it's not even it doesn't seem to be rhythmic at all. It seems to just be a twitch where he'll like wrap his hands a bunch of times at the basically almost like a number. I guess he a para-ish kind of maybe like Gary Sheffield style, like bat yeah. waggle at the pitcher, but he does it so early. That doesn't affect any of his timing or anything. He kind of quiets no. everything down and then swings. But what he did that he used to do that really high with his hands above his head and look 20 times wackier. And now his hands are much lower, probably about shoulder level, maybe even a little bit lower. His hands are loading lower, which is, I know something that is brought up a ton in terms of guys trying to adjust their launch angle up. And the result for him has been good. He had 11 home runs last year in 127 games this year. It's 24 home runs and 112 26. games. 26 home runs he he hit two tonight i well there we go that is that is breaking news here now (laughs) 26 home runs across 113 games i guess now so just adding to the story within about near 19 percent walk rate and 26 percent strikeout 27 percent strikeout rate the obp is fantastic the average isn't great but a lot of this power is home run power from the second base position we're seeing a guy who is is measures out at about 61203 per fan graphs right around that window probably and he's got some pop i'm not really sure what the defensive tools are i think we've been pretty con- content with him for the most part he's played a little bit of, of uh third base i believe this year and some first base along with second base it seems like that's split up pretty well although the majority seems to be at second base so it seems to be kind of one of those utility guys with some pop really interesting almost almost kind of like marwin gonzalezy maybe on the pop side of things not able to play short not able to probably play up the middle center field but can play second base can play the corners um he's an asset he's a guy that's kind of blown up a ton this year and this adjustment seems to be a big part of it um 26 home runs are out that's unbelievable i don't think I don't think we expected that at all. He's almost overshadowing to some extent what Bichette's doing down there with a 90% walk rate as well. Um, sure. What's the ultimate projection you think for a guy like Kevin Biggio? Oh, it's um, tough, right? Tough to think about. I, I'd say almost like maybe like 22 to 26 home runs at the major league level with like a moderate average yeah, and the ability I, to play a couple positions. Yeah, I think he can be like a worse defensive version of like Brian Dozier. You know, that the average isn't great, but like there's that, power yeah. there. He can run a little bit. Um, Dozier's probably a little bit better of a base stealer, but they could probably steal about 10 bags. He's got 15 this year. I think he's probably been caught maybe seven, eight times. Mm-hmm. So it's not a great percentage, but it's that number where he might still steal some bases um, and pick his spots in the majors where he has legitimate <laughs> pop. He's got legitimate pull side power. I think the fact that he's a lefty bat, that certainly helps, uh, yep. you know, quite a bit just in terms of, um, you know, splits and and how he might be able to fit into a platoon early on um yeah i mean i've seen so much of biggio this season yeah and i've seen him hit so well and i think i've i've talked about this sort of ad nauseum but um he just works at bats i mean whether it's righty or lefty and it sort of shows itself in the splits i mean he doesn't actually have split issues at all um it's funny his ops is almost identical uh, it's like 40 points off between the two. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Um, I'm looking at it right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nine, 939 against uh, righties versus an, uh, 897 versus lefties. You know, as a lefty bat. And I think it's because he's pretty open. He recognizes pitches well. 
He sees balls well. He's got a plan at the plate. I've always been um, impressed with sort of his approach. It seems like it's it's very methodical. He walks up the same way, takes swings the same way. Uh, have you noticed that about him, by the way? Like, he's not as loose as some of the other guys are. Like, no, I don't think I he is like he's very yeah. He's very much, like, all business. And um, I, I feel like from at bat to at bat with him, you know, he's always trying to work work the count, work a walk potentially, and if he gets a pitch that he can hit and he feels he can drive it, he'll go and do it. And uh, that's a good skill set to have as a guy that can play all over the dirt and potentially, you know, um, as you said, in the you know, corner outfield. I don't know if the arm's good enough for right, but you know, maybe a, a little mm-hmm. bit of left too. So that's a valuable player. That's a guy that can get himself into the into the, the lineup every day when other guys get injured. And they say, hey, we can, we can stick Kevin out there and, and left. We can have him play a little third. He can play a little bit of first. Um, and then, you know, play, play a, you know, halfway decent second base. He's not outstanding in the, in the field anywhere in particular, but, uh, I think he's sort of the bat first utility type. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to jump down now and skip ahead. I want to talk about Mickey Moniak a little bit. This is one of the guys brought up in Long and Hagen's piece. Mickey Moniak since May 22nd is 298, 341, 465 in terms of his slash, which is a definite improvement, I think, from any other sample we've seen of Moniak in the past. He started pretty much terribly in every season we've looked at, and he's always not really progressed at all. But what he seems to be employing is actually something that Adam Hayes that we just talked about is employing with a little bit more of a leg kick that's driving into his back hip and allowing him to load a bit, a little bit heavier on his back, uh, on his back hip and his lower half is getting a little more engaged in his swing here. Um, and, and the consensus seems to be that he is kind of maybe playing up a level in terms of where he probably should be, which is a little bit of aggression that probably Phillies are showing in the fact that they want to almost validate the fact that they took him one overall. But uh, I think at the end of the day, people still see to some extent a major league player but it's just a matter of timing it's a matter of this is probably going to take a really long time i think we've always enjoyed both of us moniac swing just the results have been so poor ralph I, I the funny thing with this adjustment is that i can't seem to find any video on it just because there isn't too much video being disseminated of moniac to start so it's hard to get a comp video of when he possibly made this adjustment which seems to be in late may so i don't have really any video between june and now of Moniac swinging from open face, I had to be able to kind of tell. I did see some back video um, from behind on plate that I couldn't really discern where his front leg was loading and how how he's loading in his back hip. But maybe and I just J- wasn't J- looking in the right spot. But uh, Jason Jason didn't have anything. Not on YouTube. I tend to go to YouTube before anything, so uh, uh, maybe he didn't check, post it up there. But maybe should, just take his Twitter. Should, you should check Twitter. I always check, check Twitter. Twitter first. I well, find I find most of my video on Twitter now. Uh, interesting. Just post stuff up at games all the time. That's yep. a good point. Yeah, but, right, I'm uh, pretty sure. He's gotten some Moniac looks. He's interesting, man. Yeah, I considered him for my uh, for my five by five. I mean, over his last ten games, he's actually hitting three seventy five. Not a ton Jeez. of sizzle. He's not stealing a ton of bases. Not hitting a ton of homers. But I think with this guy, you want him to make contact, get on base, yep. get some confidence. Let's worry about the other stuff later. I think there's some speed there. He can unlock some power, and we can get sort of this this overall good across the board player with no outstanding tool other than maybe potentially the defense. I don't know a ton about the defense, but I know it's always been ranked pretty well. Um, I haven't watched him defensively, so I can't tell you what type of routes he runs or any of that sort of stuff. Um, But from what my understanding is from scouting reports and talking to other people, it hasn't, it's never been a flaw in his game, certainly. So Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, maybe, maybe his ceiling is to be sort of like an Adam Hazley type player, right? (laughs) Maybe, maybe that's they don't it. want to hear that, but I think that's no, true. I, I think it would be true too, especially with the, the amount of money they paid for him, unfortunately. But as long as they get something out of him, I think that they could get some value in, in the returning side here. Uh, last one, let's take a look at here, Ralph Tanner Huck, another one from the Long and Hagen column here. Um, he, he tossed up a side by side 
of Hawk's delivery. Um, initially, he was going with a little bit, actually, of a, of a rise arm slot. So it used to be almost full sidearm, which he's gone back to. But what he was doing for the majority of this season was actually going with a little bit higher of an arm slot, mixing in more forcing fastballs. He is a righty arm, I believe, in the Boston Red Sox organization, playing in high right now. Um, so he's back to full sidearm. And the f- interesting thing was that Longenagin wasn't too sure if this is actually maybe the slot that it's easier for left-handers to pick up some of the balls out of his hand off of. But it seems like in the start that he has with this adjustment, confirmed at least, he threw seven innings, four hits, one earned, seven strikeouts. Maybe this is one of those moments where maybe we think that he's it's hard, it's easier for a left-hander to see the ball out of his hand, but the result maybe isn't that. Or maybe he's just made an adjustment to the point where his current scouting reports on him just don't jive with the rest of the league, so he's able to succeed for a little bit. So I think this is more of a cat-and-mouse game with Huck, in my opinion, from a Long and Hagen saying and from what the adjustment I see is, where maybe he's adjusted too quick, where people maybe don't even realize it, um, to the point where it's going to take maybe a couple starts before they start to adjust back and understand where his, the ball's coming out of his hand now, and, and more of that sidearm delivery that I was using, that he was using back in college but uh but Huck is an interesting piece I believe he was selected I think in last year's draft by the Red Sox I know he's a piece that they yeah. kind of want to develop 24th overall 24th overall he's one of those guys that I think they, they need to to kind of fill in to fill the jig room hole in terms of that Tommy John surgery he went down with so but the guys got, got guys like Mike Schwarren too from Maryland and others so um I don't think they're completely torn in terms of 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 betting 100% on Tanner Huck but um no. another sidearm guy they seem to be kind of edging that way with Schwarren as well and I'd be interested, obviously, to see your thoughts on him when he gets up to Double A Portland and some of the other Boston-centric leagues over there. Um, we had a couple other guys in this adjustment list, Ralph, but I think we're running a little long. I don't know if we had enough, yeah. as much to say in terms of uh, on their thing specifically. But we want to talk about very briefly Taylor Widener, Will Craig, and Matt Thice. Widener is a guy I believe who made an adjustment from last year. He was in high for the Yankees organization. He's strikeouts have kicked up a ton. His walks are down a bit too, and he made that jump again from high to double A and has seen awesome success. Will Craig in Altoona bat, I believe. I saw a bit of him this year. Still pretty interesting. He was always the guy that I think was brought up in the not being able to hit with wood bat, but it seems like he's actually hitting a bit with wood bat now. I'm not really sure what the adjustment was there, Ralph. Um, I don't know. I'm going to kick it back to you for for Craig and Thais very briefly, but I believe Widener's was mechanical in terms of his arm slot. I think he did lower it a little bit, which allowed the slider and the fastball to come out at a better sequence from what I was reading, but uh, but with, with Craig and Theis, um, are you buying either of their changes? Uh, what are your general thoughts on them before we jump into our 5x5? Five five? I, I know, I, of course, I went back in on, on Theis, who's a guy that I've had in my top 100 at, at certain points throughout his career. Um, and I was kind of buying back in, in on him because despite him walking a little bit less, like he didn't lose the approach that he was so famous for. The walk rate was down a little bit. Um, but the fact that he's a sub 20% strikeout guy that was like, you know, a, a 200, uh, ISO guy in, in double A and then early in triple A since that point, he struggled a little bit. The numbers are still, you know, rel- relatively good. Um, you know, uh, across the board, the OPS in, in triple A is like 778 right now because the, the OBP is down. Um, but batting average 272, he's putting the ball in play more, you know, I, I, I um, I'm kind of lukewarm again on thighs, uh, but I've always liked him. You know, this is a converted catcher, left-handed bat, still mm-hmm. only 23 years old. There's some power here. Um, there's always been some approach. You know, I, I, I wonder if maybe everything that I thought he did well that Will Craig didn't do as well is maybe manifesting itself uh, with, with Matt Thighs as well. And this is another guy that, you know, maybe he sold out a little too much for power because it just seems like he's been more aggressive 
um, mm-hmm. and getting the bat and the ball more. But he's tapping into more power, which I think is a good thing, especially for a first base sort of profile. It helps that he's a lefty. You know, he does still have good quality contact. He still has a good, uh, good, pretty good pitch recognition skills, obviously based on the strikeout rate. And he's just been become more of like a Willie Calhoun kind of a hitter where maybe you'd like to see him walk a little bit more just as a first baseman. You know, you've got to be one of the best hitters at every league. And in AAA, he's sort of just been league average uh, after being pretty good at double A. So I don't know. He's one of those guys that I bought in on and now I'm feeling uh, a little burned. Like maybe I should have been a little more pessimistic with him. Um, Will Craig is an interesting one because the thing with Will Craig is Craig has sold out a ton for fly balls. Mm. And I had seen him before and he was just one of these guys that just did not have, um, you know, the, the, uh, the launch angle, I guess you could say to sort of put the ball in the air consistently. And he was just driving everything to the ground. A lot of like, you know, low line drive singles, like bloop hits going the other way. It's a good hit that plays in college. Um, but in the majors, when you're limited to first base, really, you you got to hit, you got to mash, man. And mm-hmm. so he's made an adjustment to his game, and and he's matched. He's hit 19 homers this year, um, but the strikeouts have gone up to like 24 percent. Walk rates in half of what it was. It's a guy that walked like 11, 15 percent of the time. Um, you know, he might have had a better baseline hit tool than Matt Thies had potentially, um, but he had no power at all where thighs had a little bit, but they were kind of similar guys, but they, they sort of made that change. He's got a near 20% jump in terms of his fly ball rate this year. So, you know, he's really sold out and this is, this is maxed out power. Will Craig. So, Hey, maybe he finds a way into the major leagues, but for me, a guy like that, I don't know. I mean, how, how excited could I be? Because he's a first baseman. I think he's at least plays like elite, defense at first, which I know isn't all that valuable. People can mm-hmm. argue over that, but maybe that pushes him up a little bit. And I think he's in an organization where he might be able to push for some playing time. And, and, you know, he, he's kind of made the right adjustments without totally, totally bottoming out. I feel like his approach though, I think statistically after this really cold streak over the last like month or so with thighs, um, I think there's probably a case that could be made for Will Craig still too. So I don't know. I, like I guess I'm splitting hairs, torn. but I, I've, I've been, I, yeah, I've been a bit, I've, I'm just a big, I'm a bigger fan of thighs is what it comes down to. But yeah, both guys lower their hands, try to add more, more launch angle. But if you look at Craig, if you look at the adjustments, it's like, you know, he's selling out big time, you know, taking big uppercut swings that he ne- didn't necessarily do, uh, you know, coming out of uh, Wake Forest, I think is where yep. he, he played his college ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there 100%. you go. I like it. I like it, Ralph. Uh, five by five. Let's run through this. We gotta we gotta keep this short. We got to keep it 15, yeah. 20 minute window. Um, real I'm gonna, short. My <laughs> five as a <laughs> real short. My five, as I mentioned, are are five guys that I actually saw this weekend. Um, so it's gonna be four twins from Cedar Rapids and one Houston Astro from Quad Cities. The first one is Trevor Larnock. Trevor Larnock got promoted up to Cedar Rapids recently. Only seven games there right now. 267, 290, 467. Only 9% strikeout, 3% walk. Again, really, really small sample here. Probably a better representative of a sample is what his what he did in the Appy League with the E-Twins. 300, 405, 467. Had two home runs in one game and an even strikeout to walk ratio, both sitting around that 12 to 13%. He's a college bat, Oregon State guy. Everyone remembers that game two home run that he hit. I talked to him a little bit about that. Actually, I have a column coming out. So check out my Twitter for that to drop probably sometime early next week. Excited to talk about kind of some of the 
adjustments, um, not even swing-wise he made, but more just the intensity adjustments, going from playing with 25,000 people in Omaha to playing with 3,000 people in Cedar Rapids, and just that differential in terms of what that means for him. And, and he actually talked pretty, uh, pretty interestingly about just the – how, how he wasn't 100% phased by the, by the transition between some of the higher-level college ball to what he was seeing in the Appy League because I feel like that almost blend, that short-season blend, is, is one of those things where it's almost, if you're playing top-level college baseball, it's probably relatively similar to the Appy League even, and he mashed there, and he's, he's a guy I'm interested in. I like his swing. I think it's pretty rhythmic. He's got a lot of barrel movement, actually, which is weirder because I tend not to like a lot of guys like these, especially from the left side, but he's got really good bat speed. His approach is really good, really good breaking ball recognition. Being a college guy, it's a little bit more advanced, and it's rhythmic. The, the motion is rhythmic, which is one of those things that's a little more subjective and probably one of the reasons why I'm backing into liking him a little bit, but um, he almost reminds me of like a Travis hafner kind of guy, maybe like an, even an Adam Hazley with a little more power, in my opinion, and maybe even better bat the ball. But he kind of falls into that window where it's a little bit of a widespread out stance. He mixes up his hand motion a little bit, and he's got really quick hands, and I, I like the swing. I think he's a guy that is, is squarely in kind of that top 150-ish probably, 175-ish conversation in terms of bat. Maybe even higher. He's one of those guys I think by next year could be easy top 100. Um, just a, a really nice floor guy. I'm not really sure where the ceiling is, but I think in terms of floor, he's going to move quick, college bat. I really like him a lot. Ralph, you're number one. Yeah, my number one is uh, Pirates outfielder and, and another draft guy. So I guess to go with the running theme here that we yeah, have yeah. on uh, draft guys is Travis Swaggerty. So Travis Swaggerty was uh, – Outfielder, obviously taken, like I said, in the first round this year. But uh, I think it's interesting because this is a guy that was playing in the New York Penn League All-Star game. And the next week, or excuse me, the next day, he was then called up to West Virginia of the uh, Appy League, I believe. Or Sowie League, excuse me, Sowie League. So he's going to be, he's ba- he's in full, full season ball, uh, joining some other other uh, guys like Nolan Gorman and, of course, Trevor Larnock and, and others that are now in full season ball from this draft already. He's an interesting guy. I mean, the numbers were pretty good. 288, 365, 453, started pretty hot off the jump. Four homers. He had nine steals. It was only caught maybe once or twice. Relatively pull-heavy, decent walk rate. The only thing I, I don't love is he, he struck out 25% of the time in short season. And this is supposed to be mm. a somewhat advanced uh, a college bat. So mm-hmm. with a guy that was known for approach, I think everyone thought he would strike out a little bit, but it would have been nice to see that number a little bit lower, but we'll, we'll see. Right. I mean, it's, it, it's early. He hasn't had a ton of time to work with, you know, hitting coaches and all that sort of stuff and make the adjustments he needs to make. Uh, but I do think he's a really exciting player still for fantasy. Um, he's lurking outside that top 10 for me. Now, I think I had him around that window um, in my first year player draft ranks. But I think some other guys have maybe moved ahead of him. Some other guys have moved back. But he's kind of held sturdy. That he's he's kind of been what we thought he would be. There would be some power. There would be some speed. Some some on base ability, but some questions on the underlying hit tool with this guy. But uh, yeah, he's he's still a really interesting prospect. And you know maybe he hasn't uh, made it all the way up to uh, high A like uh, Grayson Genista, but has. Mm. But uh, you know. He's uh, he's still something interesting to watch, and and I wouldn't mind Owen Swaggerty in a couple of teams. So yeah, I don't know. I I wanted to bring up the the call up there and uh, yeah. just the numbers that he had, and you know see if uh, he might be a guy that's moving up your board. I think so. I think I love always like Swaggerty a bit from South Alabama. I'm interested to see what happens to him longer term. Um, he's always got that Brett Gardner comp, which seems to be tossed around very frequently when a guy's a little bit of pop and a little bit of power from the left side as an outfielder you can play too. So yeah. nice guy. I, I like Swaggerty. I'll definitely keep an eye on him. My number two is John Duran, 
from Minnesota. He was actually brought over in the Eduardo Escobar trade from the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's made three starts with Cedar Rapids right now. Really good in his first two, and he was really good for four innings in the start that I actually stumbled into with him. I didn't actually go out projecting to see him. I just kind of stumbled in, and I've been doing the thing recently where I kind of just tend to watch guys, and then if I don't know who they are, and then I go back and start to kind of dig into the data and dig into what other people think and see and if I agree or disagree. But I, I liked what I saw from John Duran. I think I initially thought that he wasn't getting his lower body engaged too much, but the more I looked, I got some video of him open face, slowed it down a little bit. I think he's engaged pretty well. I think the problem that actually makes his uh, delivery look a little bit awkward is that his, his, his glove hand, so he's a righty, so his glove hand actually just kind of dangles there. doesn't really actually help any of the rotation of his upper body, so it kind of hangs around. If you actually watch him follow through, the glove is just like in the middle of his body, whereas we see a lot of guys will tuck that glove really hard and really pull through their, their upper back and get their rotation going and separation and and Duran didn't really do that too much. So I think that just is a mechanical thing that he's able to tweak. But the most impressive thing was that he was touching 97. So he sat 90 to 97 on his fastball. I think he has two variations, a four-seam and a two-seam. Obviously, that two-seam sitting a little bit lower. And then when he elevates, he's able to get up to 97, looking at some of the guns down there, um, the scout guns and such, and definitely confirmed that it was 96, 97. But the thing that I was having trouble confirming, I talked to one of the guys there who was charting him. I think he might have been from Cedar Rapids. But um, uh, he, he's, he's graded out as having a slider, but – from what I saw in the velocity I saw on the pitch, I, I really don't think it's a slider. I think it's a curveball based on it being 79 to 80, maybe 81. I think it touched at times. And it was extremely, extremely vertical, the pitch. I don't know. Maybe his grip is a slider grip and he throws with curveball action or something like that. But I want to call it a curveball. I'll call it a curveball just because of the vertical drop on it. Um, if it's a slider, it's one of those sliders that's going to stand out and be Sunny Gray style where it's it's a massive vertical drop and it's, and it's basically – really really low curveball basically essentially curveball velocity so i don't know why you just don't call it curveball but i guess with Duran, it's still kind of up in the air and this guy didn't know either so maybe no one really charts it i guess they thought it was a slider it looks like more of a curve to me didn't see his change up that's another pitch that has to develop but the velocity's good i thought that his command was a little wacky but the general frame he's pretty lanky he's a good uh, good size i think he could put on a little bit more weight i think uh fingers had him a little lower than what i believed he was frame wise but um he's a name i want to keep an eye on i like the velocity again i like the shape of the of the curveball i'll call even though it's probably pegged as a slider. Change of development is always the thing. Let's see what he does with that front arm in terms of his rotation going forward. And uh, But I see where they wanted him. I see where they wanted him in terms of the structure and the build and what they might be able to tinker with. Ralph, your number two is a pitcher who's a little bit better than Duran. Yeah, that'd be Forrest Whitley. I just wanted to sort of bring attention to him. He's back this week. I guess I'm, I'm only hitting on like like big names. I'm like, uh, I'm going disco it's here. It's usually doing, the inverse. I'm usually hitting on I'm, the big names. <laughs> I know. I'm not doing the deep digging this week. I'm being lazy, apparently. But my next guy, I promise, isn't that uh, big of a name. But Forrest Whitley uh, came back this week. He returned from uh, his last injury. I think it was a lat injury that he had. Was it a lat strain? Oh, um, oblique, maybe? Oblique? Oblique yes. strain. Okay, it was oblique. Yeah, so it was an oblique. It wasn't oblique. So comes back from the oblique through a couple of innings. Um, and I think the in- interesting conversation with Whitley is – you know, what's the path the rest of the season? I assume he's going to be on a bit of a pitch count over the next maybe two, maybe three outings. Maybe we get a full start or two from Whitley by the end of the season. Now, does he get promoted to the major leagues simply to get in like another start hmm. toward the end of the year if they're not in a playoff race? I mean, but Tough. I think they will be. I think it's just it's so close right now that I can't imagine they're going to thrust this guy into a big game um, when they, they're going to need it, right? Now, if they get up like five, six games in the A's, like is there a chance they – they throw him out there one of the last two weeks of the season for a start or two just to give him some innings. He's definitely a candidate for me for the Arizona Fall League. I think we do see him in the AFL this year um, just because of the limited number of innings that uh, he had this year. Absolutely. Absolutely, Ralph. My number three, 
is a guy who I don't think many people are going to know about. And I actually kind of like what I saw. His name is Miguel Angel Sierra. One word on the Miguel Angel. Um, shortstop for the Houston Astros here. Um, he's the guy who kind of stood out to me. I think he was kind of the only guy in the Quad Cities lineup that is really anything. The Quad Cities team was a little bit depleted in terms of the talent compared to some of the other Midwest League teams that I've seen. But the funny thing is that they're actually one of the best teams in the first half in the Midwest League, which is just uh, utterly confusing to me because I don't really see anyone that stood out on the team. But this guy was pretty interesting. He's batting sixth in the lineup, striking out around 33% of the time, only walking about 7% of the time. I just don't think that's representative of the player he is. I thought that his swing was pretty nice, really level, quiet, very, very, very quick and explosive hands, a very level bat path. He had really solid contact on one pitch that I tossed up on my Twitter account um, and as I aggregated some of his swings there. I personally just liked him a lot. I thought that his bat to ball was a little bit better. I think it might, I don't think it's breaking ball recognition. That is the issue for him that's striking out 33% of the time. I wonder if he's just overly aggressive and getting himself in bad counts. And that's probably one of the reasons why maybe his walk rate's low too. But he's a, he is a little bit older, I guess you could say, for the level to not be kind of hammering the level and, and knocking on the door for a promotion, promotion up to, to high levels of the Astros organization. But um, he's only 20 years old, so I guess there's still some time. Um, I didn't get a look at his defense, which is probably one of the bigger things that maybe projects him out. If he does tend to stick up the middle, maybe the, the baseline for the bat is a little bit lower, which allows him to maybe not have to light the world on fire to succeed and get any resemblance of a chance in Houston. But um, I like him. I just, I, I just one of those guys, Ralph, where you just go, you watch him. You don't think he's great, but you like the swing. And I think it's fives across the board in terms of hit power. Maybe it's more gap to gap than anything. I think he actually had home run tonight too, which is nice. I think it's his third for the year. But I just Ooh, didn't. I just don't think timing. that. I know. I just don't think the stats are representative of what the guy is personally. I think it might be just some tinkering that needs to go on. Simple adjustments. Next thing you know, maybe we're looking at a guy that's a decent utility guy down the road. But I think he's just a, a, a far enough off guy to mention that I liked enough to to kind of bring him into the forefront and consider him a little bit. Um, you're number three, Ralph. Yeah, my number three guy, I guess, is somebody that's like a forgotten prospect that a few of us were kind of high on. I wonder how much we bought into because he's got an 80 grade name and that would be a triple a first baseman for the Toronto blue Jays teammate of Vlad Guerrero Aye. infield partner of Vlad Guerrero <laughs> rowdy rowdy Tellez. So rowdy Tellez was a guy that had, you know, a really good season in New Hampshire back in 2016. He was promoted to triple a Buffalo last year and struggled mightily. Um, struck out a little bit more than he did the year before, but just didn't hit well. And he's not a guy that's ever struck out a ton and I think that even this year when the numbers haven't been overly impressive, um, you know, he slashed 275, 347, 443. He's got 13 homers, but he's got an excellent strikeout rate, 15.8%. But so, you know, there's hit, there's hit tool there with this guy. I think there's some questions. He's a certainly, he's a really bad bodied first baseman too. So he's first base only probably as a future as a DH, but he's got, he's patient. He's got good hand eye coordination, you know, but the issue is when you sort of look at him and you dig a little bit deeper, he's got one very one-sided though. It's strong sided platoon splits that, you know, he mashes right-handed pitching. He's got no power against lefties whatsoever. So then you sort of narrow it down and what's this guy's profile. I mean, maybe he, he figures out how to hit hit left-handers at at an average league, you know, clip, even then, like how many first basemen already have, and we've talked about this, a few minutes earlier already have a, a, a better hit tool and, and combination of power and, and hit tool than this guy does. So um, the numbers have been encouraging lately. He's been hot of late, probably because he's had Vlad as protection for the first time. He's got somebody that, <laughs> that pitchers are actually scared of. Right. Yeah. Um, 
but the numbers haven't been awful. I think it's an interesting profile because he's got such good patience and strike, uh, you know, and strike zone awareness and sort of uh, command of the strike zone. Um, but the bad body thing, the splits thing, th- there's still a lot of holes in this guy's game as a prospect. So he's not somebody I'd, I'd buy back in on, but it wouldn't shock me if he got some at bats though in the majors, because he's a guy that I don't think Toronto would care all that much about tinkering with, uh, you know, his service time, you know, he's not something they're trying to protect. If anything, they'd probably bring him up, have him hit well for a month and then, you know, showcase him. And it wouldn't shock me. Maybe, maybe he hits for more power in the major leagues. Um, there is a baseline of at least, at least a decent hit tool there though. I like it. I like it, Ralph. I remember Roddy Tillis from a while ago, so that does stand out to me. My number four is Akil Badu, who's a guy I know that you were very high on a while ago. I got to get a look at him yeah. for the first time. Uh, unbelievably impressed with the fact that he's walking at 15% in Midwest League, which is very, very impressive. His OVP is, I think, right up there. His average isn't the best. He's striking out a bit. He does have a little bit of swing and miss. I think he's a little bit of a front foot hitter, but... I, I'm impressed with his ability to still generate a good amount of pop with how, how early he's getting his front leg down, which tells me that he has a little bit of inherent bat speed that maybe isn't fully fleshed out yet. But he's 10 home runs, 21 stolen bases, with a 350 on-base percentage in Cedar Rapids this year. Um, he's played out pretty much the whole season there, I believe. I would like to see him probably jump up to Fort Myers next year and get some playing time up there to see where his skill is baseline in the Florida State League. I think the Midwest League is maybe one of those scenarios where – I, I would hope that the K-rate stays consistent as he goes to Fort Myers because I don't think he can really afford to get it any bit higher. I'm not really sure if I went neutral up or down seeing Badu as, as opposed to hearing about him and hear, seeing his stats. But um, I, I think that there's substance there of a legitimate player just because there's a lot of tools, it seems, and he can play defense relatively well and he has some speed. He's able to hit for a little bit of power, which I was impressed by based on his stance. And he's got a decent bat the ball, which with even with the whiffs. But... Um, it seems like, again, we were talking about some other guys where maybe it's more of a, of a contact issue or something like that, but with, or excuse me, more of a breaking ball recognition issue with, with Badu, I don't think it's that. I think it's more contact based and I, which is weird because of how short his swing is. So there's some weird things, funky things from what I saw going on with Akil, but I, I think I like the overall substance of the player to still be, want to give him a look in multiple leagues. But, um, it was fun seeing him live again, really impressed by the 15% walk rate. I think that's probably one of the highest I think I've seen in the Midwest League among guys of, of higher pot prospect pedigree. I'm probably missing someone here. But uh, but that's really impressive for me. And uh, I think going forward, it's more a matter of for him getting off that front foot and seeing if we could develop any more power with him. I like how I'm saying we as if I'm developing him. I'm not developing it. Let's see if the twins can get him off the front foot and develop a little more power. Or if they just want to keep him as a slap hitter like this and play gap to gap with him. And he's still able to kind of turn on pitches periodically and end up with 10 to 15 home runs at the major league level. Ralph, you're number four. Yeah, so my number four is a guy that I have actually watched because for whatever reason, I can get um, Orem games. Uh, I think what's that? You mentioned that. It's funny. Yeah. Is that the the Pioneer League? Is that what they are? I think. Yeah. Orem Owls. Um, Let me see. I can get you. I can get you quick. Uh, Rookie A affiliate. Of course, it doesn't say. Yeah, Pioneer League. So anyway. There you go. So for whatever reason, the Pioneer League stadiums are all um, like strapped up with cameras and like ready huh. to go. I, love I don't it. know. Whether, I don't know enough to, to know where they're playing necessarily. Maybe it's the colleges or something that have. I have no oh, idea. That's I'm a good student, point. Okay. You know? Yeah, but either way, they they all have stadiums with with cameras for the most part. So I've actually watched Jordan Adams Orem games four times, three four times over the last week since we did the show, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
Wow. I mean, I, he got pulled the other night. I think he actually got injured. So I got to double check and see if he's in the lineup tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Want to do that for me? Go to MILB and check if he's in the lineup tonight. But yep, I got you. They might. I actually, they may not be playing tonight. Now that I think about it. But either way, Adams has looked tremendous when he's been at the, at the plate. You know, definitely like a a much better, much more polished swing than I thought. He battles off pitches. You know, takes you know, spit on some junk on the outside of the plate. You know, he puts together like a, a, a relatively polished at bat that I was really impressed considering I thought he was going to be incredibly raw, especially in comparison to some other teammates like uh, Jeremiah Jackson or like Deshaun Knowles. And like, that's a, that's a pretty stacked team. Mm. Uh, Trent DeVos on that team as well. So, I mean, it's like a stacked up lineup. So there's a lot of really interesting players in that team and he stuck out. And man, when he, he had a double, they roped the other way. And, and and Lance, dude, he just got out of the box so quick, and wow. it was like like a gazelle. His stride is so uh, big, and he's so fast. I mean, he's such a freak athlete, this guy. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you dig in, I mean, you know, obviously you have all the the dunk videos from his gym <laughs> yeah. class. Yeah, to play football. Yep, I didn't see right. He was, re- and he was a legitimate basketball prospect too. Like he went to all like the top camps and everything. It was like a known guy. So. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have played like, you know, probably three sports division one and, 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 you know, he's committed to baseball and, and the total package is like, wow, jaw dropping. I think this guy's going to explode. I think this might be like one, of, one of the biggest movers over the next year from this draft class. Oh, this man. could be the, a year from now. This could be the guy just because there's so many tools, Lance, like he can hit, there's more power there. Um, just freak athleticism. The speed is so natural and he's got so much of it in spades and Mm. he just does, he just does everything, you know, well, like there's just nothing that, that, that he struggles with. And those are the kind of guys that, that just take off, especially when, you know, they have a full off season to work with probably some of the, the higher end major league coaches and some of that stuff as they develop these guys and they really spend time on their development and digging a little bit more. I can only imagine the monster he's going to be, especially when you consider the stuff. And I wanted to get back to this before, actually, with, with Ward and with Thighs. Some of the development that's taken place within the system with guys that were already in the system over the last year plus, I think kudos go out to the Angels for that as well. They've made a lot sure. of players Absolutely. better. They've brought in a lot of talent. They've made some good trades. I'm going to kick it over to you. Oh, number five. I was going to say your number five is actually a guy the Angels traded, but you changed your number five. I did. Don't say don't say Jacob Pearson. Please tell me about Gabriel Maciel. Yeah, I believe he was actually another piece in the Eduardo Escobar trade, but um, he was sent over from the Diamondbacks as well. He's a switch hitter. I only got to see him from the left side um, on Saturday, on Sunday, excuse me, the game I went to. Uh, really no power at all. He's a little bit more of a toe-tap kind of guy, pretty good bat the ball. He had a pretty poor game, but it was weird because the day before, he actually had two home runs, I think, which is the first home runs he's hit since May. So he doesn't really have any power at all, but and he hit him from each side of the plate. It was kind of an interesting storyline coming into that game. And then he did not have a good game at all, as, as I want to reiterate here. But uh, 15% strike rate, 5% walk rate. He's kind of one of those slap hitter guys um, projecting as an outfielder. He's just got really, really quick feet. I think he's great at a 70 speed. And the the fielding, he gets above average, and the, the throw's pretty good as well. So he kind of lands in a weirder window of guys where – there's tools there. It's just that none of them seem to be the tools that matter too much for fantasy. But um, the hit tool, I guess, projects out to be plus plus, or excuse me, plus just at 60 from what Fangraphs is saying. I think maybe I could squint hard enough and see it, but 
I think that the sample I saw was so poor that I probably graded out as average to below average right now. But um, I, maybe it's a matter of just reps again with him. I think he's a pretty young guy in terms of his age. He is only 19 years old. He's a 99, so he'll turn 20 in this coming January. So, again, uh, there's really no power here, but it's a hit tool with some speed, with some fielding ability that the Twins, I believe, wanted in for Eduardo Escobar. So um, another one of the kind of these forgotten names, I believe Duran was probably one of the bigger names sent over, but uh, Maciel is also their switch hitter. And I believe he's from Brazil as well. So that's another little interesting tidbit about oh, him. Yeah. But um, Ralph, you're number five. Yeah, maybe I should switch my number five to Eric Paradino so we have a switch oh, last second Bruce, Brazilian. Brazils, yeah. <laughs> oh, he, he was actually perfect, I think, through five. Ended oh, up, wow. Uh, ended up... Uh, Finishing with uh, one hit through seven innings, uh, six Ks, no walks. Um, little Brazilian right-hander, um, you know, signed for a big number with the Blue Jays. Another uh, Blue Jays guys they were able to pluck. But that's actually not my number five. My number five is Austin Beck, who I think we've had some debate about. He's a, yeah. a change, swing change guy, yep. some guy that's made some adjustments. I think I thought it was uh, appropriate, and I on purpose didn't bring him up before. Um <laughs> He's had a weird season. He's kind of had like a, a an okay April, a kind of a bad May, and then like a really good June, a down July, and he's been mashing two weeks into August. 345, 383, 491. Uh, he actually hasn't homered yet, so there still isn't like the power there that we see. Um, mm-hmm. But he's been on a bit of a hit streak. He's getting on base. Um, he's only had a couple of games where he's had, you know, multiple strikeouts. So he's cut back on that. And, and it's one of those times where I'm okay. Maybe sort of like Blake Rutherford. I'm okay with this guy just developing as a hitter and being able to hit 320, 330 for an extended period of time, raise that batting average, get the pitch recognition and the strike zone, uh, uh, control sort of, you know, where it needs to be. And then unleash some some of the power because I think we all know the power and speed are there. It's just a matter of when they say go. And I don't mind that development path if they get that baseline of the hit tool and they make the improvements, the incremental improvements that need to be made uh, with Austin Beck. The numbers look good. I mean, he's got a lot of doubles recently, just no homers. So you know, I don't I don't know about park factors or where he's playing um, or any of that sort of stuff. You could probably speak to it better than mm-hmm. I could, but. I think, you know, the performance over the last, you know, couple of months has really been pretty good, though. He had the down July, that June, coupled with the the 14 games here in August. He's looked great. Like I said, over the last 10, he's hitting 342. So mm-hmm. I think that says it all. Absolutely. Ralph, we ran a little late. This is one of the old classic shows where we run for like an hour 20, 25 here. But uh, any Ooh. parting words for the folks as we finish up our 5x5? Five five? No, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. You got, you got everything sleep. I got. I got to go to bed. <laughs> we got to go to bed. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us as always on the Braswell Prospect Podcast for Ralph and Lance. We will see you guys soon. Uh, as always, we're posting stuff. He's at Prospect Jesus. I'm at Lance Brasdale, both on Razzball as well. And uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody. Take care. Privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out.
The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232.